Welcome to The Dirt, a podcast all about archaeology, anthropology, and our shared human story. And today, Amber, I'm going to tell you a story. Yeah? I shall, I shall spin you a tale. It's of a band of small people, oh, no. wee folk, oh, with big feet, and they lived in holes in a hillside. No, no, no hobbits. It's hobbits. No, no. No, 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 this isn't J.R.R. Tolkien's hobbits. This is the story of real people and relatives of ours. This is the story of Homo floresiensis. Oh, these guys. Okay. No, that's better. Okay. No hobbits. Great. To set the scene, Flores is one of more than 17,000 islands that comprise the Indonesian archipelago. So we are in Indonesia, Southeast Asia, in the middle of the ocean-ish. And um, at various times, way, way, way in the deep past, sea levels were much lower than they are today. And during these times of low sea levels, the western portion of these Indonesian islands were connected by land bridges to the mainland. But Flores, on the other hand, and many of the other islands uh, on the eastern side remained isolated from both continental land masses. And these islands are often called the Wallasian Islands. And they're named after kind of an overlooked yeah, but but really neat person I'm in, into in the history of of evolution. Is he another one of your historical boyfriends? <laughs> yes, so far. Yeah, no. uh, well, his name is Alfred Russell Wallace, and he is uh, the co-discoverer. Although Darwin gets most of the credit, he's the co-discoverer of the theory of evolution, and uh, the father of a, a discipline called biogeography, which is sort of the idea that at certain uh geographical points and and at certain like latitudinal longitudinal lines um different evolutionary groups of animals happen that's how i understand it yeah yeah and so um this these invisible boundaries so the one that we're talking about that's most important to what we're talking about today is called the wallacean line or wallace's line um and so you got a line out of it um, and so these are these, it's not the only one like it in this area. And so there are other lines that demarcate, uh, distribution of plant and animal species in the region. So it's, so there's a line that indicates it's roughly the same on either side. There's one that separates it from, um, sort of Australia and Australasia like on the, mm-hmm. on the other side. Okay. Um, and so these, are are used both to help inform um, the land boundaries of during previous glacial maximum. So that's when the so during a glacial maximum, the glaciers at the poles are their largest. So they have the most water. Maximum sucked. glacier. Yeah, maximum glacier. So that's when they have the most water because when sea levels rise or fall, it doesn't come out of nowhere. Like it comes out of or goes into polar ice caps. So that's right, where it goes. Right, right. So when the when the polar ice caps are at their largest, sea levels are at their lowest. And so that makes sense. Yeah. And so we're able to see different points of um different points of, of boundaries. And so Wallace has got a line, Lydecker's got a line, a couple other lines going on. Um and I tried figuring out when these islands um when all of them would have been part of a larger continent. Uh, but the best guess that I could come up with, then again, I did start with like literally Googling this morning, how did animals get to Indonesia? Um, which was surprisingly helpful. Um, I mean, you're probably not the only person to have Googled that. So. Yeah. Yeah. 
but it seems that the last time that um, Indonesia was part of something else um, was around 200 million years ago when the supercontinent Pangaea broke up into slightly less supercontinents of Gondwana and Laurasia. So that seems to be around the last time that it was part of another landmass. Yeah, so the takeaway there is that since it's been separated from larger bodies of land for such a long time, there hasn't been a lot of inflow or outflow of genetic diversity in the animal and plant populations there. Actually, probably much more of the animal populations because an animal needs to be able to fly or swim to get on or off the island, whereas plants can, their seeds can float or, or you know, the pollen can disperse through the air. So on Flores, there's only... Uh, and there has only been a small number of terrestrial mammal and reptile species for the entire Pleistocene, so the whole era before the Holocene that we're in now. And some of the the heavy hitters include Komodo dragons and other smaller monitor lizards, crocodiles, several species of stegodon, which is an extinct but very close relative of modern elephants, so uh, talk about those in a minute, giant tortoises, and several kinds of small, medium, and large-bodied rats. So you got your, your venti rat, your, your, your grande tall rat, rat, and your tall grande rat. Grande rat, yeah. But no short rat? Maybe there's a flat white rat. Flat white rat, yeah. So in these, in islands like of the Wallacean Islands, of which Flores is one, um, 15% of the total biodiversity, so all the plants, all the animals, um, 15% of that is endemic, which means that they're only found there. Uh, now when we talk about the things that can't fly or swim or be consumed and then left on, (laughs) we can say pooped out, (laughs) okay. Uh, deposited, uh, from other islands. So things that can't fly or swim, those are usually terrestrial vertebrates like you and me. We can't fly or swim. I mean, not very well. Yeah. Not, yeah. Um, that figure is nearly 50%. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. So nearly half of it is the is the product of what's called autochthonous speciation, which is when it becomes its own species <laughs> on its own. <laughs> yeah, it's a, a mouthful of a way to say that it's isolated for so long that it starts having genetic changes that eventually separate it from whatever it split off from on the mainland. Yeah. Flores is a one site where uh, we encounter a phenomenon called island dwarfism or Foster's Rule. This is just when members of a species get smaller or bigger, depending on the resources available in the environment. So what happens is small species like rats tend to get bigger because there aren't that many predators on the island. And because they are small, there's plenty of resources for them um, because they don't they don't eat much until they grow up to a certain point. So there's a carrying capacity where once they reach that point, you know, it starts to level out. But uh, small species tend to get larger and large species that would be giant like elephants elsewhere on the mainland uh, tend to reduce in size. So as a result on Flores, you get things like giant rats and tiny wee elephants. Would these tiny elephants, would um, their increasing tininess also be informed by the absence of predators? Because yeah, they can, they can afford like, to be smaller because yeah. they can, as long as they can evade or deal with the largest predator on the island, which I believe is the Komodo dragon, which doesn't need size to be horrifying and very effective as a predator. Um, yeah, you might as well get small. because You might as well get small and not consume the resources because if a Komodo gets you, you're got. 
in about two weeks. Well, yeah. On the island of Flores, there is a site called Liangbua. I really tried to find correct pronunciation online, and the the online uh, pronouncer page that I found was just a robot voice that told me to pronounce it Liangbua. So not going to do that. I'm going to pronounce it Liangbua. And that's where a joint Indonesian and Australian research team found a nearly complete female skeleton of a tiny human, which they called LB1, um, that lived about 80,000 years ago. So Liangbua is a cave in Indonesia, and the skeleton had really unique traits. It had a very small body, small brain size, and this eventually led scientists to assign the skeleton to a new species called Homo floresiensis, named after... Flores, the island that it's on, and belonging to the genus Homo, the one that we belong to. Yep, that's ours. Yep. And um, since the initial find, bones and teeth representing as many as 12 individuals in this species have been recovered at Liangbua, um, the only site where Floresiensis has been found so far. But not the only early hominin on Flores. So in October 2014, so after the initial find of Homo floresiensis, the fossil remains of an early hominin were discovered at the site of Mata Menge, which is about 74 kilometers from Liangbua. So Flores is a pretty big island. Um, it's a very mountainous yeah. island. Yeah. Yeah, and so it's one of the it's one of the biggest islands in Indonesia. There's mm-hmm. uh, Sumatra and Java and Flores and and they're sort of the ones that run west to east with the smaller islands tucked in among them. So um, at Matamenge, they discovered a mandible and six teeth, and these belonged to at least six different individuals. So what? not much they not took... much was left of each person. But... Okay, so not a mandible with six teeth, each belonging no, to no, a no, different no, no. person. Okay. Sorry, a mandible and also some teeth. Yes, um, and, for, and, these... and for those that aren't familiar with all, all dim bones... The mandible is the the lower jaw. It's the lower jaw. And for a female, it's a womandible. Just kidding. It's not. Um, I think you meant to say people-dible. People-dible. A people-dible and six teeth. Oh, boy. Okay, so the hominin fossils uh, that were found, so this the mandible and teeth, were dated to around 700,000 years ago. So that makes Mata Menge the oldest hominin fossil site yet discovered on Flores. So this is likely uh, predecessors of Homo floresiensis, and it is interpreted as the effects of insular dwarfism working on an earlier species of Homo. And we will go over all that in just a moment. But first of all, who was Homo floresiensis? So, okay, so these hominins at... So the hominins found at Matamenge, they have not been um, assigned a, a species name. I couldn't find anywhere that conclusively said what they were, okay. except that they were somewhere between Homo erectus and Homo floresiensis. But is that there's because been of a DNA stuff. study that was done, or just it's, the age, or the characteristics of the mandible? Aging it's only characteristics. The, okay, because it's only the one, the one man. So only six to seven individuals have been found via one tiny bit of them. Yeah, that's what I found. Okay. Yep. Wow. So, yeah. That's so it's a, not a lot to go on. That, yeah, that is like so much. And at the same time, almost nothing. 
I know. And so you can see why people would be reluctant to go ahead and call this a totally new species. Yeah. And so it wasn't until after 12 individuals with lots of their parts were found at Liangbo before they called it. Well, okay. So there was initially a whole lot of disagreement about whether those specimens should be classified as a new species because they share a number of traits. They sort of combine traits of um, Homo erectus, so the immediate predecessor to, to us Homo sapiens, and much older traits. But those older traits were at first interpreted as other things. So these alternate interpretations include that the remains are from a very small human that suffered from some type of disease that causes microcephaly. So Homo floresiensis um, has a really small head. But microcephaly only applies to the cephala, right? It only right, applies so, to the head. But the rest of them was tiny. Yeah, we can we can rule okay. that out. Um, and another suggestion was that the remains are from a human with Laron syndrome, which is a genetic a genetic disorder that results in pituitary dwarfism. Mm-hmm. And um, there are multiple individuals that share these traits. So if they had Laron syndrome, they all had it, and that seems unlikely. But but possible, but technically possible if two if like the. The population, because it's a small population, because they like washed up on shore or whatever, and if they both, if if both parents carried that, uh, yeah, I mean we don't know. So it's something that could, it could happen. Yeah, I know. Okay, I see more bullet points on this list, so I know that this isn't like the the answer. But like that makes more sense than microcephaly, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Especially with the, the small population. So right. Homo floresiensis individuals stood about three feet, six inches tall. So picture a modern human three-year-old. They had tiny brains the size of a grapefruit or orange to, to match their small stature and mm-hmm. small heads. They had large teeth for their small size. Their shoulders were shrugged forward. They had no chins, receding foreheads, and relatively large feet because of their short legs. Yeah. And their feet were flat unlike our arched feet, and their wrists had a similar structure to a gorilla. So all of these traits are sort of this weird combination of archaic and modern human traits. So at first, the archaeologists, paleoanthropologists, who um, excavated Liangbois, they thought that they were looking at the bones of a modern human child as they were excavating it. But Uh as they got more pieces, they realized that in Homo floresiensis, there are traits that are shared with Australopithecus afarensis, which is our ancestral species that, that Lucy comes from. So if you've heard of the famous Lucy fossil. Um, so this these traits are reinforced jaws, so really powerful jaws for chewing tough plant material, flared hip bones, and short legs. So those same features, short legs and kind of a, a flared out structure to their to their hips like short um, legs relative to the length of their arms and their torsos right yep. not just like proportionally they have tiny brains because they're tiny like not that same argument it's no short but proportionally leg. Okay. proportionally short legs yeah but homo floresiensis also has uh this thick skull and brain structure that is similar to homo erectus which is a much later species than um 
than Australopithecus. So I think at the moment, what we need most now is a quick a quick primer on the yes. hominin family tree. Please. Okay. So modern humans, us, Homo sapiens. Yes. We. Okay, I'm, I'm with uh, you so far. Okay. We are part of a lineage that reaches back about 7 million years when we split from our closest living relatives, which are chimps and bonobos. So 7 million years ago, we had a common ancestor with chimps and bonobos. And at that point, our lineage started evolving one way and chimps and bonobos started evolving another way. The oldest members of the genus Homo emerged about 2 to 3 million years ago. And unfortunately, there, the fossil record is really sparse. So we don't understand it very well. But what we understand so far is that our earliest Homo ancestors most likely descended from Australopithecus afarensis. So that's mm-hmm. that's Lucy yes. and and other others like her. Um, Australopiths. Mm-hmm. And she's called Australopithecus afarensis because she was found in the Afar region of Ethiopia. And you may remember from our tongue child episode that there was more than one species of yes. Australopithecus. So there's afarensis, there's Australopithecus africanus. And in fact, there were several of these branches of Australopiths with different traits branching off based on different environmental conditions. Um but for us, the most relevant Australopith is Afarensis because that's most likely our direct ancestor. And so how long does it take? How long does it take to get from like establishment of Homo? Mm-hmm. So so we so the, the genus Homo um, emerged. It, it, it kind of it was made manifest at the point where we split from the genetic ancestor of chimps and bonobos no well no homo debuts after it splits from australopithecus okay so, All but right. before australopithecus is our last common ancestor with chimps and bonobos okay. but that's our currently that's our closest living primate relative because all of these species that we're talking about are extinct right so there were a few more steps on the on the on the line Mm-hmm. Before our train pulled into Homo Station. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All aboard. At okay. 2.8 million years ago is when there is a fossil that is called Homo. That's the first species Homo. Sorry, the first genus Homo in the fossil record. Okay, so, so 3.2 million, that's Lucy. Yeah, Australopithecus. And then 2.8 million is Homo. Correct. Okay. So by around 2 million years ago, we start to get more in the fossil record. There starts to be more fossils that that have been found dating to to then. And so by then, there were at least three early Homo species in Eastern Africa. There was Homo habilis, Homo rudolfensis, and Homo erectus. There's a little bit of um, unsureness about Homo rudolfensis. It may or may not be its own species. But um, we're not going to get into that. So for so, a long time. And so what, were they all in the same? So you say in Eastern Africa, but Eastern Africa is really big. Were, were they in the same areas or do we not have enough all, to know what their distribution was? Um, I'm not sure if they interacted, but this was all in the area of sort of modern Kenya, Tanzania, Ethiopia. 
Um, so not that so huge not, an area. No, not that big. So they very well may have been sharing environments. Okay. And they were certainly adapted for, for similar environments. Okay. So um, for a long time, Homo habilis was thought to be one of our direct relatives, but um, now it seems to be the case that Homo habilis, which translates to handyman, handy, handy yeah. uh, because it's the first uh, first of our hominin ancestors where we see evidence for stone tool making. Oh, like our so they were like our monkey friends in Panama. Yes, well, yes, but comparisons of of Homo habilis with other early fossils in in different species of the genus Homo suggests that this might not be the case and Homo habilis was kind of an early side branch. And actually um, it's much more likely that we evolved from Homo erectus. So all of the Homo species that, that come later than 2 million years ago are thought to have Homo erectus as their ancestor, except maybe not Homo floresiensis. This is a study from it's a study from Australian National University, but it was published in ScienceDaily.com in 2017. And the most comprehensive study on the bones of Homo floresiensis, a species of tiny human discovered on the Indonesian island of Flores in 2003, has found that they are most likely evolved from an ancestor in Africa and not from a population of Homo erectus that had already migrated towards Eastern Asia, as had been widely believed. So the study was led by a Dr. Debbie Argue, who says that the analyses show that on the family tree, Homo floresiensis was likely a sister species of Homo habilis, sharing a common ancestor with Homo habilis. So rather than evolving from Homo erectus, a different species, the one that we are descended from, Homo right. floresiensis is thought to share an ancestor with Homo habilis, which means that it might be possible that Homo floresiensis evolved first in Africa and then migrated, or the common ancestor with Homo habilis migrated out of Africa, which is way earlier than we thought that predecessors of Homo sapiens left Africa, and then evolved into Homo floresiensis somewhere else. So this is linked to the um, the the argument and the theory that we discussed in our uh, last old news episode about the hominin remains found in what's now China. Like yeah, that, exactly. That, it's, that the theory and the sort of the body of knowledge around when Homo left Africa for like the first it's, time. Our knowledge is evolving. Yeah. It's, and so it's, it's, a, but evolving in like a huge way, not in a, yeah, sort of a, it's like shifting yeah, as entire we, paradigms, not just like nudging numbers. Right. Like yeah, as we find big. more and more fossil evidence, we are having to completely revise our understanding of the timeline of movement out of Africa. And it I mean, regardless, it probably happened in lots of different waves. But our understanding of when these populations started making it out of Africa is beginning to rapidly shift with with discoveries like this. That's very cool. Yeah. So Flores, mm -hmm. as you may remember from about 15 minutes ago, is an island yes. with no, no land bridges. So even during the last of those glacial maxima, when uh, the sea levels really dropped drastically, Flores would not have been accessible from other Indonesian islands or the mainland of Southeast Asia. So 
the ancestors of Homo floresiensis either needed a boat or a raft. So, I mean, there's no evidence that the Homo erectus or Homo habilis had boat technology. Uh-huh. I mean, maybe it's it's not out of the realm of possibility completely, but it's actually more likely that a population of early hominins got stranded on a piece of land or or some kind of like vegetation raft right so like a, a little a little micro island and and that came off from the mainland and bumped into flores and in in this area there's often lots of typhoons or tsunamis during during monsoon seasons right. and so this is this isn't an uncommon occurrence it's yeah, something that's it's, reported now well it's only um 35 kilometers from um flores to i think lombok and Lombok, Lombok and Bali are like two big like tourist destinations, but so a far fitter person than I could swim that. Right, and, and, and I'm not saying they swam. I'm just saying like if you, you know, if you're gonna get stranded somewhere, I mean, there are far worse places to get stranded to. Right, than, it's not you know halfway across an ocean. It's yeah, it's next, it's next door. It's just sort of an inconvenient distance for swimming, especially yes. for especially for a, a small wee hominin. Hey, and I know from firsthand experience, having big feet does not make you a good swimmer. <laughs> they don't act as flippers? Nope, they don't. Oh. So you can stop making that joke, everybody. Leave Amber alone, everyone. <laughs> um, so Flores is inhabited today by human people. Yes. Just like you and me. Um, and modern humans arrived in Indonesia between 55,000 and 35,000 years ago. And... That's within the time range where they may have interacted with Homo floresiensis, although there's no direct evidence of this at Liangboa. So there's no human archaeological evidence intermixed with um, Homo floresiensis right. uh, materials yet. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. yeah. And so we don't have, we haven't found Homo floresiensis anywhere else. No, only only at Liangboa and only on Flores. So not even just on this one island, just at this one cave and this one island. Okay. And it wasn't that long ago in the in the grand scheme of like getting research funding to like start an excavation. So right. like there yeah. Yeah, no, I'm yeah. Sure, I'm the, sure the first like, discovery was 2003. Yeah, like that is like really like I remember when the press release came out. Yeah, and, and excavations are still happening. Yeah, uh, I'm sure, I, yeah. I, they just did, I believe they just did a lab season. We're actually going to have a very special guest on an upcoming episode of Deep Cuts. We're going to have uh, a member of the research team from Liangboa on, and we're going to talk to her about how Homo floresiensis uh, hunted those giant rats. Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah, I'm so me excited too. to talk to her me about too. that. Yeah, it's um, going to be great. Yeah, so... So we haven't found them anywhere else, uh, but there are legends of them. Maybe. Right. Well, no, there are legends of, of somebody that fits the description eerily so. So there's this, um, so in Flores, there there are these um, sort of folk tales, I guess you could call them, about the Ibu Gogo. And so those words in the local language like spoken in, in flora that's not bahasa indonesia it's a different language um okay. and so ibu is a term for like a grandmother my under this is my understanding 
and um, Gogo is is somebody that eats anything. And so you could be like, you know, like <laughs> old glutton. So that's like a hungry, hungry grandma. Hungry grandma. Yeah. So these, yeah. So these stories of these hungry grandma uh, are these small, about like one to one and a half meters tall. Check. Um, hairy. Check. Flat nosed. Oh, check. Slouchy. Yep. Little cave dwellers. Wow. Um, yeah. And so they, they live in the woods. And, um, so there are stories about how they'll like steal food. They'll like, they, they steal food and sometimes children and they're hungry grandmas, but the, but they don't steal the children to eat them. No, they got to pinch their cheeks. No, they, they steal the children to learn how to cook from them, but they're, they're dumb. And so the children outsmart them and get back home. So they aren't like like a boogeyman. Hansel and Gretel, but less sinister yeah yeah and so it's it's just like the stories of like these like silly little dem guys that live in the woods that will steal your food and the sources that i found said that folks say that they were still around when the portuguese came and that was in what like the 17th century so like the yeah magellan magellan's time yeah. yeah, and so when the the Portuguese arrived in Southeast Asia, um, this, so these are local stories saying they were still here when those guys came. So it's not like the Portuguese were writing this. Uh, <laughs> they they weren't talking about that. Uh, they were busy making up things about the actual people that lived there. And they, so they say that they were still there and that... Well, and then the story gets kind of depressing. That basically, the 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 human, the Homo sapien um, inhabitants of Flores, like basically waged a genocide against the Ibugogo. Um, oh, not the grandmas. Yeah, and so there was. There's a story that says that they gave, um, it's like in the 18th or 19th century, where it's like some number of generations ago. Um, humans gave them a gift of palm fiber to like make clothes out of but then when they went into their cave they threw i don't know a molotov cocktail or something in and like oh no set it on fire which like killed all the inhabitants except for maybe two and so that's sort of one of those stories it's like (laughs) they could still be out there but there's this idea that they lived like in the woods and were but kept mostly to themselves, except for the fact that they were kind of sneaky and they would come steal food. Um, and so there are some people, there, there are some sort of folklorists and sociologists and, and anthropologists that think that maybe this is something like a, a cultural memory, that this is something that um, maybe 10,000 years ago, maybe fewer, maybe 3,000 years ago, whenever, um, there was interaction between homo sapiens and homo floresiensis and that those experiences um were sort of embedded culturally as this cultural memory but also if you've got this cave that has these bones in it if every few generations somebody's like i call bs they don't exist they'd be like well go check out that cave and like there are these (laughs) tiny bones it's like okay okay i buy it and it keeps it alive but it's not like i asked if this was the only place that this has been found um, because this isn't the only place in Southeast Asia that has a story like the Ibu Gogo. 
Yeah, um, but people travel. Like even if Homo floresiensis wasn't anywhere else, the people telling the story about the Ibu Gogo may may have traveled, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, but it's also like on the other at the other end, so the far um so in Sumatra, in western Sumatra. So I don't know enough about either of the two groups that have these stories to say um whether they've been in contact, but there is something called the Orang Pendak, um, oh. which means short man. And so it's this short guy that's um, about like, a meter like and a half. Like Orang Gutan. Yeah. It means something like sad man or something. Okay. But Orang, Orang means person. Orang means, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, Orang Pendak is a short guy and they are very quiet, docile, not docile, I guess taciturn and reclusive people that that live in the woods they don't seem to be quite as into like stealing kids to make them cook for them um but there are these ideas of um like is this a cultural memory like is this like a drunk person seeing an orangutan now that or a child or a child yeah i think the argument was like well the orangutan isn't in this area so it couldn't have been that therefore you know that sort of Mm. thing um And so it's very interesting because these places are, they're very remote, like the mountainous areas, uh, mm-hmm. like very densely, like very dense vegetation. And it's just like the perfect place to have like a cryptid sighting. And so there are like all these, <laughs> they're it's the South- Southeast Asian Sasquatch. Yeah. And so it, it's sort of in, so I don't know if the Ibu Gogo isn't lumped in with those because um, people like Sasquatch types haven't heard about it, like or just aren't aware. But the Orang Pendak is sort of in that constellation of like hominid cryptid type things. And, okay. um, but it is like, regardless, it is interesting. And like, regardless, it is interesting that um, these legends exist and whether they're informed by some deep cultural memory from 10,000 years ago or they're informed by like some kid running back like out of breath being like oh my god I saw tiny people in a cave like either way that's it's pretty still cool. so cool yeah, yeah. what it what is it <laughs> I don't know. it's so cool yeah well and it's also cool that we have so you know people calling them hobbits and all that like it's also cool mm. that this is something that comes up in in fantasy and like halflings and all that, like in like D and D type stuff, and so this idea that there are people that are people but they're small and it, like that whole. Well, speaking of speaking of Hobbit, there was uh, just as a final yeah. note here when Homo floresiensis was discovered, it was just uh, the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings movies were just coming out, and so everyone Hobbits were in the zeitgeist, but there was there were some drums some Hobbit drums uh, between the pop culture, the film industry uh, and, and J.R.R. Tolkien's estate and <laughs> this, the scientific community. So, so the scientific community and big Hobbit. Yeah. <laughs> big, big Hobbit, Hobbit. cracked down. Yeah. So there was a, a scientist in New Zealand that wanted to organize this free public lecture on Homo floresiensis. And um, as a Kurt, like he wanted to call it, the other hobbit this is a free public lecture he wasn't making money from it right um and and as a courtesy he wrote to the estate of J.R.R. tolkien but was told by lawyers representing that estate that he was not allowed to use the word hobbit to to uh publicize his lecture 
Uh, even though scientists have been using the term like casually, like affectionately, to describe Homo floresiensis ever since it was discovered, um, it's just sort of informally named the Hobbit. Probably, it's it's a little bit patronizing. I think. Yeah, no, I think that's like pretty busted of them to do that because like you call them a Hobbit, like like it's sort of yeah, it's patronizing. It's like kind of infantilizing because there's like enough infantilization of Hobbits happening in like the Hobbit and. The, the Tolkien books anyway but like they're human like they're they're people yeah so I mean I don't disagree with um the fact that he didn't he wasn't allowed to yeah. to use <laughs> Hobbit but for different reasons than oh, like, like very different reasons than like than trademark the, yeah <laughs> copyright like, I'm all about intellectual property and yet <laughs> like I disagree with these lawyers but we we don't have to call because it's like what flow, flow yeah. Flo? Since the first the first specimen LB one was a female, uh, and it's Homo floresiensis, can call her flow. Yeah, that's perfectly respectable. I like that. Yeah, call them Floresians. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, in any case, um, Homo floresiensis. I think there's a lot more to be discovered there, and and I, I don't know. I I eagerly waiting for for things to unfold yeah maybe we'll still be making podcasts when they uh come up with their with like new research and we can be right there on the scene yeah i hope so so um we're we're trying out a new thing if you want to learn more about homo when we do our deep cuts episode on it with uh with grace veach who we're going to interview she's on the the team that's been studying them um very cool She's extremely cool. Um, We're going to start making our deep cuts and old news bonus content episodes available um, for purchase. So you don't have to subscribe and be a Patreon donor um, and and pay every month. If you want, you can purchase selected episodes a la carte. Yes. Oh, a la carte knowledge. That's coming soon. And so far, we've got one episode of old news where we collect all uh, of the juiciest news stories coming out of archaeological and anthropological research. We've also well, got... in the case of that uh, sarcophagus, it was like literally quite juicy, wasn't it? Oh, uh, no, <laughs> sarcophagus juice. Yeah, so if you want to hear a little bit about uh, sarcophagus juice, you can tune in for that one. We also um, expanded on our paleo grains episode by talking about one of my favorite kinds of grain. Beer. Yeah. It's an episode all about ancient beer. So those are going to be available soon. Yeah. And so, uh, but then again, if you can't wait until we get them up in a shop, um, those are available for anybody who uh, becomes a patron at the $10 a month or above level. Um, Which I believe is Absolute Dirtbag? I believe it is. Yes. And so you get the back catalog that way. And so you'll get our deep cuts and our old news. And so you get one of the, one of each of those a month. So every, um, every other week, there's a bonus episode that's, that yeah. comes to a RSS feed that is delivered straight into your ears, right into those ear holes. And, and so that is, that is available there. Um, which is, which is www.patreon.com slash the dirt podcast. Yes. 
And um, you can find us, as you appear to already have, on SoundCloud, iTunes, and wherever fine podcasts are available. And um, hey, how about leaving us a review? Yeah. Do and that. maybe some stars. Five yeah. of them? Yeah. Huh? Five or more. Or and more. tell your friends. Tell your friends about yes. us. Tell your enemies about us. Tell your mom about us. Your dad. Your aunt. Yep. Your dog. Tell your dog. My dog loves it. And, you know, we are a completely homegrown endeavor at the moment. And so we rely on, on word of mouth. And it's your mouths that we need. Yes. We need those mouths. And we need those ears. And yeah. those eyes, which you can use to follow us on Facebook <laughs> at The Dirt Podcast. On Twitter, we're at Dirt Podcast. And on Instagram, we are at The Dirt Pod. Yep. And if you have questions or more information... Um, you or, can just say hi. Or yeah, you can just say hi to us. Uh, you can you can hit us at the dirt podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, thanks so much for listening, guys. We love you. Yeah, we do. Bye. Bye. Bye.